Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created this space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Hello there. Sorry, this episode is a little bit late. I think I'm just going to have to hold my hands up and say I more than likely will not be sharing two episodes a week. I just can't. I can't. I can't do it. Um, I think there's only one week that I've actually been able to do it. I just find looking after my two children exhausting and I don't have the energy at the end of the day and I'm sure I could crack it out at the weekends and edit at the weekends but then I wouldn't be around for my family and I wouldn't be very capable of having any sort of patience around that that to look after my children during the day so we'll stick with one episode a week for the moment maybe in September I can do two episodes a week anyway let's chat about Claire so this week I'm sharing Claire's story she talks me through her two birth experiences, one was an induction of 42 weeks. She gave birth to her little boy. Her second experience was at 32 weeks. Her little boy came into the world via cesarean section, emergency cesarean section. They She went in for just a routine scan at 32 weeks. They saw extra fluid. They thought it was something called hydrops, which is quite serious. She talks about that night that she spent in hospital with her husband in preparation for surgery the following day. She talks about how hard it was, um, how emotional it was. She was just, they were expecting the worst. They were prepped to expect the worst, basically. Thankfully, that didn't happen. They have a gorgeous little boy and it wasn't high drops, which is what they originally thought it was. Claire also talks about fertility treatment, trying to conceive and her multiple early pregnancy losses that she did suffer throughout this whole journey to throughout this whole stage of her life. Um, so I think this is a really important episode for someone who is trying to conceive, who is undergoing fertility treatment to show that there is hope there. I know from speaking to people in my own life uh, who I know who are friendly with people on the podcast or people who I know I'm going to speak to in the future a lot of people can be really 
could really keep this part of their life close to their hearts for a number of reasons that Claire actually mentions it herself that that's what they decided to do so it must be a really lonely place to be um so this episode hopefully will help ease the loneliness and show you that there is a there is hope there so thank you Claire for sharing as much as you did as always I really appreciate the honesty enjoy Claire, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Our chat is 24 minutes late because I was trying to put my little fella to sleep. Um, so thank you for waiting. Thank you for your patience. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. I have two very bad sleepers, so I know all about it. Don't worry. Well, usually he's fine going down, but just yeah. today he decided that I was his person and he needed me to put him down. So okay. do you want to give us a little introduction to you and your family and then we'll get stuck into your birth stories? Um. Yeah, sure. So... Um, my name is Claire. I've two kids, two boys. One is Alex. He's four in May, and the other is Ben. He is one and a half. Um, I'm living in Wexford. All my family are in Dublin, so it's tough. Um, my little boy Alex, he um is autistic as well, which kind of adds to the challenge. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else <laughs> to say so about it. Just talk us through conception for the first time and how you felt and how you discovered you were pregnant. Um, with Alex, is it for the very first time? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we actually had to go through uh, fertility treatments. Um, you know, like everybody starting off, you just assume, okay, I'll come off the contraception. I was um, had the marina coil at the time. Um and you know, the GP says, Oh no, you know, as soon as this is out, you're going to be fertile and yada yada. Uh, six months, 12 months later, nothing's happening. You're going, what the hell is wrong with me? Um, a whole battery of tests. And then, um, yeah, and then it was just straight into sort of fertility treatments, um, timed intercourse and IUI. Um, I fell pregnant twice and miscarried. Um, and I just, uh, you know, was heartbroken. Mm. Um, I don't appear to ovulate on my own for whatever, um, some kind of hormonal issue. Um, so then the month after I miscarried the second time, I ovulated spontaneously and got pregnant and that was Alex. Yeah. So we're, yeah, a little miracle baby. Um, but then the same again with Benjamin, um, it was just kind of back to, um, IUI, um, and fertility treatments as well with him. And what was the time scale then between um because I know from people I speak to they say after six months and six months must feel like such a long time, even though we're now told that six months to six months is kind of the minimum time that you yeah. expect. But between sorry, what was the time scale between the six months to conceiving your first little boy? What was the time scale there after doing all the treatment and um, what's the tests and everything? Yeah, so I think we kind of tried for a year um, okay. coming off contraception and just, oh, we're not trying really if it happens, great. Um, and then a year passes and you kind of get this niggling feeling after six months and, you know, you're not really just seeing what happens anymore you're kind of like why is it not and then you start to get obsessive and tracking everything um 
doing tons of ovulation tests and all sorts. Um, yeah, so that was about a year. Then started doing tests and all of that took about a year as well. Um, and then it was three cycles of fertility treatments. So that would have been about three or four months. So yeah, it's about two and a half years. Yeah. For Alex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then with Ben, we kind of knew from the outset that this is what would need to be done. So it was fine. And we didn't have to go through all the tests at the start again. So um, Ben, I was lucky enough, um, third cycle as well with Ben. Yeah. <laughs> so conception after, after you had your second miscarriage, and then h- how did you discover that you, did you know you ovulated on your own or did you feel in your body or was this due to, did you discover you ovulated on your own because you fell pregnant? Oh, no, I um, knew I was ovulating because um, you, when you're trying to conceive, um, you know, you're getting yes. used to all the lovely <laughs> cervical mucus. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so that was kind of happening. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to take an ovulation test just in case and it was positive and I was like oh my god <laughs> Dennis come yeah. here quick literally oh yeah and you know a part of me was like oh god it, like it's only a month after the miscarriage um, and like I couldn't get out of bed for a week I was just so heartbroken yeah. Um, but yeah um, I was like no I'm my body is ovulating it must be a sign so let's go <laughs> And it worked, yeah, and we're delighted. <laughs> and did you feel quite anxious then in the early weeks of your pregnancy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every little sign, every little twinge, just you're kind of waiting for it to mm-hmm. happen almost. And I just felt like I couldn't enjoy it. Um, Yeah, just really so nervous the whole time. When did you feel you could relax? Um, I think it was really when I got to the 24 week mark, I started to okay. relax a bit because I um, I knew that was when they'd be viable, you know, if they were kind of born early or anything. Um, so that kind of helped me relax, but it took a long, long time. Um, I was even nervous sharing the news with family. Um, mm. They were all delighted. They didn't actually kind of know everything we were going through with fertility treatments. And um, yeah, like I'm quite... I'm going to say I'm quite private, but, you know, here I am giving my story on a podcast. But no, generally, um, yeah, it's just it's something that's quite hard to talk about. So, yeah, um, nobody really kind of knew what we were going through. That must have been incredibly tough. To, yeah. to because I'm sure um, there's people that you wanted to lean on. But then are did you not share because you were a private person or because you didn't want to maybe hear advice or was it purely because you're private? No, I think it was a bit of everything yeah, yeah just you, yeah you don't want people's opinions and advice yeah. and didn't want people to kind of know we were trying um because yeah then you get those yeah we're <laughs> those giving each other the, the eyes here comments sometimes, and, yeah. sometimes I forget it's a podcast and I'm gesticulating but yeah no we're giving each other the eyes yeah 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 I understand yeah. And um, so when you did feel comfortable in your pregnancy, did you at what stage did you start thinking about giving birth? I was thinking about giving birth from before I was even pregnant. I was always terrified of it, okay. to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> I was so, so afraid because it's it's just the unknown. Like mm. you have no idea of what it's going to be like. Um. 
yeah so even before I was pregnant when we were planning the whole time I was like I want a baby but my god I don't want to give birth <laughs> um yeah so no I was really afraid um and I had Alex in hot and um thankfully they have the um psychiatrist there and I was telling them about sort of my worries and they said I could come in and tour the hospital and tour the um, maternity wards. And they really just helped kind of put me at ease. Great. Okay. Yeah. So your fears were, were pretty significant then. You felt you, you felt a genuine fear of giving birth. Oh, yeah. Not just absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as well, I was like, I don't want an epidural. Um, when I was... 12 I had this um a spinal injury and infl- my spinal cord basically just inflamed from some viral infection okay and I was paralyzed for a couple of weeks and in a wheelchair so I was afraid of an epidural because it's like I'm yeah. paralyzed again <laughs> you know so yeah yeah no it was it was a real roller coaster I will say and they linked you up with the psychiatrist did you ask for that support no, I didn't. They linked me up with them. Okay, um, I'm trying to remember his name. Oh my God, I'm so bad with names. So when you spoke to the psychiatrist and they started giving you that little bit of support and you had a tour in the hospital, did you feel a little bit more at ease with the idea of giving birth? I mean, a little bit. It was nice to know what to expect, to chat to some of the midwives, to see the birthing suite, because, you know, I would have had no idea what it would look like at all. So even just those little things... Um, talking to them about pain management um you know and now they do the whole holistic kind of thing of they provide yoga balls for bouncing and reflexology and squats they have it signposted all over the hospital um you know it just it helped you know did you attend how did you feel actually in the antenatal classes listening to to everything that was about to happen to you or in the coming weeks (laughs) Uh, we did private antenatal classes because I was living in West Wicklow at the time. So it was a long way up to um, Dublin to attend the classes. Um, so we just kind of booked some private ones and they helped as well. Okay. Um, yeah, it was just the two of us and the midwife and she kind of went through, you know, everything to expect and then what to do once the baby's here, which is important as well, because mm. I, it's my first kid. Nobody else in our family has kids. Um, I've no, I had at the time, no friends with kids. So I was really, what do I do? Um, and my husband as well had no idea um, how to change a nappy or anything. So she showed us all of that. And yeah, no, it really, really does help put you at ease. So do you want to talk us through your the first signs of labour? I didn't go into labour on either of my pregnancies. I was convinced Alex was going to come early. So convinced that I took my maternity leave early. Oh. <laughs> so I ended up wasted like six weeks. Um, but he ended up, uh, I had to be induced at 42 weeks. Um, yeah, which was horrible in one way but good in another because I went in at like seven in the morning I was given the pessary um, and I was told okay this could actually take 48 hours it's like oh my god we're sitting there all day about 7 p.m I turned to my husband it's like look why don't you go home and get a good night's sleep absolutely nothing is happening not even like they said you know it'll kind of start with mild cramping period type cramps there was nothing um, so he was waiting to be collected from the hospital and um, 
It's about 40 minutes later, just full on contractions. So there was no, that's the bad part is that it went from zero to a hundred. So it was agonizingly painful. Um, There was no sort of build up. Um, And what I didn't like is the midwives didn't really take me seriously. Um, I was like, no, I'm having this baby now. Um, And they just, they were like, no, no, go have a shower. Uh, Here's some paracetamol. Um, I was like, please do an exam. They're like, no, no, just go on, go off and have a shower. Um, And thankfully, my husband was there. He was able to advocate for me. And he said, no, give my wife an exam. And sure enough, they checked me and they're like, yeah, okay, you're eight centimeters dilated already. So we're going to go. Yeah, down to the. Oh, your poor body. You have been in shock. Were you, did you, that must have been really tough. Yeah, no, it was. It was literally zero to 100 um, in the space of about 40 minutes. Um, And then Alex was born in, it took about eight minutes. Yeah, it was, I know. (laughs) It was so fast. Gosh, you didn't have a second to catch your breath or even collect yourself or focus or anything. No, and at the start I had wanted like the petadine and things um, for pain relief and it was like, no, there's no time for that now. So it was two paracetamol and then the gas and air um, that the gas and air hadn't even kicked in because he was born so fast. Um, Mm. (laughs) So, And what position did you give birth in? I ended up on my back um but the midwife did try to get me on my hands and knees but the um contractions were just so painful that I actually felt like I couldn't move yeah yeah I just actually felt like my back was kind of seizing and I was trying to get onto my hands and knees but I couldn't so I was just on my back so how did you feel when you were when uh, someone else I've spoken to who has had a birth similar precipitous birth she said she just felt completely out of control like it was so shocking to her that she that it was this is all this is not how it is taught uh, taught us at all like we think it's gonna be 12 hours it's gonna be really long that's what we're told so how did you feel when this was all happening so quick I mean I just don't have time Um, to think think, you know yeah (laughs) Yeah, you're just um, it, it was a shock I will say especially at the start of the day in the morning they said look it could take up to 48 hours we might mm. have to do two yeah. of these pessaries and then move on to a drip and you know um, so I was kind of expecting to be on for the long haul especially when there was no even slight twinge um, and then suddenly yeah it was just all go so it was a whirlwind um, and then he's born and um you know, then it's kind of a whole lot of just people talking at you and you don't really know what's going on and they're um you're just getting poked and oh they had to break my waters um in the birthing suite as well. Um because they didn't break on their own. Um which was a very strange sensation, just kind of lying there and then suddenly there's just this like really warm water <laughs> and a lot of it. Um yeah, and then, you know, you're getting your injections and they're delivering the placenta and cutting the umbilical cord and it all just went so, so fast. Mm. Yeah. So was he up on your chest? He was, yeah. Yeah, no, he was given to me right away then. And did you bottle feed or breastfeed? I breastfed, yeah. How did um, that first latch feel? It was awful. It took me a long time. Um... I think my milk didn't come in. Um, 
because again, maybe just because I didn't go into labor naturally, um, uh, because I was induced, I don't know, it took a long time. And so when the mid, uh, not the midwife, the public health nurse came out to check on him after the couple of days when we were home and she was saying, no, he's after losing 12% of his uh, birth weight and Oh, I just felt like the worst mother in the world. Um, at six days old, she had us racing back up to the hospital um, for blood tests and everything. Uh, he had some, um, what are they, the urolits or something in his um, oh, yeah, urine? Yeah, yeah just yeah. urates. Yeah, just from dehydration. Yeah. Um, but she was staunchly against bottle feeding she was if you bottle feed you're a terrible mother basically um so I took that on I took that very very personally and I wanted so hard to bottle uh, to breastfeed exclusively you know I wanted to give this kid the best start I wanted to be the best mother and this is what everyone says you have to do um yeah and she just really was like she yeah was kind of making me feel like a failure until it came to a point where she was finally like, okay, well, you know, your breast milk's not doing him any good, so we can introduce one bottle. Um, he would be on the breast nonstop all day and all night. I was not sleeping. Um, you know, it was a really hard time. Um, and then the fact that you're kind of going through all that and he's still not even getting enough milk. Mm. Um, now it did eventually come in after a couple of weeks um, but by that point I'd introduced a couple of bottles and it was giving me a better headspace you know like my husband do bottle feeds and I could do breast feeds um, but there was still that part of me that's like no I want to I, I have to uh, breastfeed um, yeah and no surprise yeah I ended up I was diagnosed then with postnatal depression um I think I was just putting so much pressure on myself um but I breastfed um up to six months and then he was just done but it was combination so breast and bottle but yeah now I found it very very hard yeah and of course you had no at the time did you have family or friends around you where you were living then not really, no. Everyone was up in Dublin or Kildare, yeah. This is a conversation I just had with um, my guest whose episode I'll be sharing the same week as yours, actually. And we just talk massively at the end for our chat about the lack of support in every community now that yeah. there isn't, there's no one, because no one knows each other. But these, these towns are just expanding and there's no support for anyone or you, no one just calls over to people's houses anymore as much as they used to no one knows yeah. the person who just had the new baby to call into um no. yeah we we're just talking about that and the, the lack of support so yeah you obviously felt it too oh yeah now we were really struggling with lack <clears throat> Emma family support and I was going oh my god we need to sell our house and we need to move back up closer to family um but of course um you're probably aware the house prices in Dublin are bonkers. So that was never going to happen. And <laughs> um, we did end up selling the house though and moving into um, into Wexford. Um, so a little bit closer to home. It's on the motorway anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's nice. I've kind of found a community here. So oh, I was happier second time around. Yeah. Yeah. But really it was hard um, with Alex. And then obviously COVID hit. And we were extra isolated. Um, <clears throat> like I would be driving up to Dublin to stay with my mom for a week or two at a time um, because mm. like they wouldn't really come down. Everyone was working. So I'd have to go up to them just to have, even just to have people around, you yeah. know. Um, but then with COVID, obviously couldn't go anywhere. 
So as trapped, my husband was working uh, shifts so he could be working weekends or evenings. There was no routine. Um, And then obviously around Alex's 18th, not 18th birthday, when he was 18 months old, um, I started to notice sort of the red flags. Um, And then obviously later on, he was diagnosed with autism. So it was trying to deal with all of that as well. Mm. Just pretty much by myself. Yeah, like me and my husband, obviously. So when were you diagnosed with postnatal depression? Fairly early on, I would say. um, I can't even remember. Probably when he was about two months old, I went to the GP. Um, Yeah, I knew myself. Like I just, yeah, I was not sleeping at all. And when I don't sleep, I, I can't cope at all. I can't function. Yeah. And did you have much support with a counsellor or anything like that over the, the following months? I was referred to a community psychiatrist, which was great. But then again, COVID came along and they were all cancelled. They didn't even do phone appointments or anything. So oh. as yeah, just left on my own again um, and just sent, uh, posted out a prescription every couple of months. Oh, that's shocking. This is exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start start feeling like yourself again? Or uh, yeah, or or did you, I suppose? Um, I did. I would say probably when he was about 18 months mm. old. Um, I went back to work. Um I kind of only went back to I wasn't really mentally ready to go back to work, but I went back because we were selling the house and trying to buy a new one and I needed a mortgage, so <laughs> I just needed an income. Um but once I had gone back and I was actually getting out and going into an office, whereas before I was working from home, um, yeah, it was nice. It was like, oh, my God, mm. here's five hours every morning where <laughs> I don't have to. He's being taken care of in a crash. It's great. You know. Um, yeah. So it was really I think going back to work definitely helped me and just having a sense of routine. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, I think as well the professionals kind of started listening to me and my concerns about Alex too. Now it was another while until he got um, diagnosed. I had to go privately because again, there's no services, which is a whole other rant. But um, yeah, when the ball was getting rolling on that, it was like, okay, so it's not all just in my head. Um, yeah. And it partly is like, okay, so you're not just a terrible mother who didn't read to their son enough, you know, even though of course there's still that part like, oh, maybe I'm not doing enough. Um. But no, I was really blaming myself for a long time. And in fact, that public health nurse uh, that I mentioned earlier, she did kind of say something because she'd be the first port to call when you've any um, sort of concerns when she was doing his developmental check and he wasn't reaching social or communication milestones. Um, Yeah. And she was like, oh, well, you know, you're depressed so when you're at home alone with him all day so maybe you're not talking enough to him so you need to be really just verbalizing everything you're doing and I took that to heart so bad I was like oh my god it's all my fault because I'm like yeah I do kind of sit here in silence a lot because I don't have the energy to be narrating everything um so yeah so I kind of I he's still he's like I said he's going to be four in May and he's still a non-verbal um but I still kind of wonder oh my god is it my fault did I not talk enough to him <laughs> yeah it's those little comments that can really really stick with yeah. you um, yeah absolutely yeah yeah we're so careful with our with our words especially in those those yeah. early days when we hang on to everything yeah 
that's it. But yeah. When did you feel ready to add to your family? So I just felt like I always wanted um, two kids and I definitely thought Alex could use a sibling, which I know is silly. Um, so we got the ball rolling when he was about a year old because I was expecting it to take some time, mm. um, which it did. And I'm going to need to do maths now and I can't remember. I think it took about a year and a half, was it? So he'll be four and Ben's one and a half. So You're talking yeah. to the wrong person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm trying to do maths and I'm just like looking at you. Do you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it was just before his first birthday that we did kind of start like contacting the fertility clinic and just saying, yeah, can we come in? Um, my period didn't even return. I'd stopped breastfeeding at six months. Um, it still didn't return. I was 11, 12 months. Yeah, he was over over one. I still hadn't come back. So I was like, oh, God, because sometimes, you know, the way they say you can have fertility struggles with your first and then that'll spontaneously kick your body back into gear. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Whereas I know the um, opposite is true as well. Some people can conceive right away and then have trouble the second time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so no, it was down the kind of same line. Um, Yeah, no, I just... I did. I mean, I still was, I was quite depressed still. Not as bad as I was. I, I, it's, it's hard to explain, you know, it's kind of like just this, I, I feel sort of crap. I don't feel quite myself. I wouldn't say I feel happy, but I did feel ready um, to kind of expand our family. And did your, your period return at all? No. Uh, it okay. still hasn't. Yeah, it's just, just does whatever it wants. <laughs> really. So um, it didn't. It didn't return. So sorry, you were. So it was twelve months after you had your first little boy, and then you decided. Then your so your period hadn't returned, and then did you go straight into treatment? Yeah. Well, yeah, went straight into treatments. Um, okay. So they'll give you, you know, certain medications to try and kickstart um, ovulation or your menstrual cycle. Um. Yeah, and that kind of got things moving. And does, um, that, does that affect your mood? I didn't think so, no. Okay. No, not me. I know it can. Um, when you're going down more the IVF route and you're on a whole host of different hormones, it definitely can. But yeah, I was just on some medication to help uh, stimulate ovulation. And then a trigger injection to actually release the egg. So it didn't interact with my medication or anything. I was off antidepressants as well at the time too. So, Okay, talk me through a little bit more about that. About your, your treatment and the whole, the whole, for want of a better word, journey. Um, see, I can't even remember so much with Ben. I think it was just autopilot. We were in lockdown still. I remember that. Um. Yeah, I so my husband couldn't come to the fertility clinics. You know, you had to get special letters. Um, you'd be stopped at the guard at checkpoints and have. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. After be like, I'm going for fertility treatments. I'm allowed to go. Um, it's so funny when you think back, like it was such a different, uh, such a weird time. Um, yeah, I feel like the last two years have just been a blur. I kind of barely remember. Um, so, yeah, so we started off with timed intercourse, which is where you take these tablets for a couple of days to start producing follicles. You'll need a couple of scans to check they're growing OK um, and that you're only growing one and not five or six that are going to ovulate. Um, and then you take a trigger injection to actually release the egg. And then they tell you what days to have sex on. And it's all very, you know, not very romantic. Um, especially like the first time you can kind of see, okay, yeah, the, the fun and or whatever. But when you're doing it a couple of times, you're like a couple of cycles, you're like, oh yeah, it's time to have sex again. Um, it can kind of kill it a bit for you. Um, so I actually fell pregnant each time and had very early, um, they're called chemical pregnancies, I suppose. Some women like to say miscarriages. It's depends on the language. Um, like most people wouldn't even know that they miscarried. It's only that I was trying to get pregnant. So I was taking tons of pregnancy tests and it was positive. And then two or three days later, I'd have a heavy period, um, yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, what happens to most women when they don't actually even realize they're pregnant. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, it's really hard because you are putting a lot of your hopes and dreams on it. And you're like, this one's going to happen. And I have a good feeling about this one. And when it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, I remember one, I just, I think the third one, it just hit me so, so hard. And I was driving back from the fertility clinic and I had to get back to work that day because uh, it was a 
a big thing happening and I had to get back and I was just my mom rang me and she's like oh what's wrong with you you don't you know you sound a bit off and just burst into tears <laughs> and I was like I'm just fucking at as if just after having a miscarriage I don't know what to do I have to go back to work and she's like no go home I was like no can't go home have to go to work um yeah and at this time as well it was the pandemic and we were trying to sell the house and like there was so much going on um yeah so that one was really tough and then that's the timed intercourse and then the next we moved on to the IUI where it's the same you kind of take the tablets to stimulate the follicles and then you take the trigger injection but instead of having sex they um take a sperm sample and then they just um implant it into the uterus um and hopefully the egg and sperm meet and do their thing um which it did thankfully <laughs> And how did you feel? Were you nerve? Were you still quite anxious? Of course. Oh my god! Yeah, no, I was. I was absolutely terrified, and because I knew myself, like at this point now, the house had been sold, and we were waiting to close on the other house. So I was really stressed. Um, but I was just kind of throwing myself into work and trying to focus on that. Um, and obviously there was all the stress with Alex too. So every little thing was just, I was like, I just want to go home and lie in bed for weeks and weeks and do nothing. But obviously you can't on your first pregnancy, you know, you get to lie down and relax. And especially I was working from home, I take it a bit easier. But this time when you have a toddler running around too, oh, there's no stopping. <laughs> and that did help. Like he he kept me busy. Um <laughs> So I didn't have too much time to think about it. But it was in the evening when it would get quiet. Um, you know, I would just constantly kind of have this wet feeling um, down below. And I was just constantly running to the bathroom and checking and just like convinced I was going to find blood. And, oh, it just had me so anxious, <laughs> so stressed out. Um and again, you're Googling, like, what is this weird feeling? And apparently it's totally normal. As always, the answer is hormones. Um, yeah, but it, it's it's not easy. Um, just, yeah, really, really stressed out. And do you feel that anxiety subsided around the 24-week mark again? The anxiety lessened kind of quicker this time, thankfully. Um, I went for an early scan, um, went for a couple of early scans and everything was looking okay. Um, so at 12 weeks, we kind of told everybody and uh, yeah, it was around sort of the 12 week mark. Then I was a bit more, you know, you kind of think, and I know it's foolish because anything can happen. But once we got to the 12 week, I'm like, okay, I can calm down a bit now. <laughs> okay. And how did you feel physically? I was fine with Alex. I had a relatively easy uh, pregnancy. I was going to reflexology. And as I said, like you had the time to relax and look after yourself and rest. Um, on Ben, I just, oh my God, I was so exhausted. Um, I was really sick, actually. A couple of times I was admitted to hospital. I had hyperemesis. <sighs> Yeah, it was a really rough pregnancy. Um, yeah, I, I I hated every minute of it. Um, minute of it, to be honest. Um, again, so <clears throat> happy to be pregnant and to be having another baby. 
um, but just hated being pregnant this time. And I loved it on Alex. I loved kind of seeing my body change. Um, but yeah, I was just so sick and tired. <laughs> really, And that sickness carried on throughout your whole, mm. the whole pregnancy? Um, no, after kind of the six month mark, it stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm trying Did to you get have timelines discussions with <clears throat> your healthcare with the doctors and consultants in the hospital about birth so obviously they would have, would have said to you listen any signs come straight in did you have that conversation I did and I linked in early on with the mental health team as well you know kind of said I've you know was quite depressed after my first um still not like a hundred percent myself I know what to look out for Um, I just kind of want to put supports in place and they were like yeah that's great and told my GP so I had a lot of support from everybody um oh I would like to say as well for both pregnancies I was referred to the you can do fertility treatments privately but I was referred and the waiting list was like well over a year. So I was waiting, I was doing private treatments while kind of waiting for that to kick in. And funnily enough on Alex, my treatment, I finally got an appointment uh, for the public fertility clinic. Um, That was on the Monday. And I think on the Friday I had the positive pregnancy test. So, yeah. So I was able to ring them up like, yeah, I don't actually need the appointment anymore. So, so that was good. But yeah, but it is a long road, so you kind of have to go private. You don't have much choice. Yeah, it's a long yeah. waiting list. It's a lot of people. Yeah, and again, that's just even to get in and get started and do bloods and anything yeah. else you need. And I did need a lot of tests. Anything else, you know, it's obviously going to be months and months in between. So, yeah, if you're going public, you'd budget like three to four years. In the lead up to the end of your pregnancy, how did you feel about giving birth? Um, so with Ben, I actually was driving to a routine hospital appointment. Um, a what was it? Thirty weeks. Yeah, I had to go for a scan because they kind of marked me as a higher risk because I have a, a higher BMI. Um, so at the time, I remember clearly I took the Monday off work. Oh, I was feeling sorry, mal jumbled. So first of all, I was feeling so tired and crap. Um, anyway, so I had kind of decided I have this hospital appointment on Monday. I'm going to get them to sign me off um, work and just take the last two months, yeah. you know, to kind of try and Alex would be in crash in the morning. I'm just going to have the morning to try and get everything in order. Um, so, yeah, so I took the Monday off work for the appointment, was driving up to Dublin I remember being so annoyed because I'm like the traffic and the people and all oh, the stress and there was no parking and I was so annoyed. Um, I get in, they do all the usual stuff, the the <coughs> urine tests, um, and then I'm going up for my scan, and it's taken a while, and then suddenly she's going very very quiet. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? She's like, oh, I'm just going to get a doctor to come in and have a look at this. Okay, grand. Suddenly, uh, they're like, okay, we're going to go get another doctor. And my heart just, Mm. oh, God, even talking about it now, I'm about to cry. It just stopped. I, oh, my God. 
suddenly there's the um the technician the ultrasonographer radiographer in the room two doctors a consultant and they're all talking to each other nobody's talking to me but you know it's obviously not good news and you're just like what is going on um so the consultant just kind of turns to me and says right do you want to is your husband in the car and I was like no he's at home um, with our toddler um he's like okay do you want to put him on a video call I was like oh my god what is going on um so yes I got my husband on a video call and the consultant kind of talked to him mostly which really annoyed me he was talking to the phone um instead of me and they noticed a problem with Ben in the womb he um was just surrounded by fluid um and they thought that it was something called um hydrops which I'd never heard of um so obviously that night I was googling it um and wasn't great um so he said look Ben has probably at the moment 50-50 chance of surviving if it is high drops he goes maybe 2-10% chance um, he says that the best thing to do he goes we can wait another week if you want to get him um, to a bit closer to gestation age so he has a better chance in NICU he says but I don't think that would be a good outcome he says the best thing to do is do a C-section tomorrow so again just a complete whirlwind I was not expecting this at all. Like I had felt crap my whole pregnancy, um, but there was nothing wrong with him because I was in a hospital a few times. They always scanned to check the baby. He was fine um, the whole time. So this, yeah, just really came out of the blue. I was thinking it was just a routine appointment. Just going to get signed off, have a nice two months at home. Um, Yeah. I just wasn't expecting it. Uh, my husband, obviously distraught, uh, trapped in Wexford. Uh, I had the car. Um, yeah. But so he just you, said, "You did you you didn't have even you would have had nothing with you." No, absolutely no. nothing. No, just clothes. Yeah, that I was wearing. Um, and my phone, basically. Um. Yeah, so he said, okay, he kind of said, you can wait a week or you can have a C-section tomorrow, but I think we should have a C-section tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then I don't actually think I was given a choice. It was more, okay, we're going to get you booked in now, like checked in. So yeah, I think that was it. Um, Yeah, I uh, just a complete state of shock. And yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know, like how I even got through it. Um, I had to ring I rang my mom she was away for her anniversary um her wedding anniversary somewhere out in the west coast and I just called her in tears it's like there's something wrong with the baby I don't know what it is um I, I don't know um she's like okay we're gonna we're gonna come home right now Um, my sister I rang I was like again just a complete state I was like there's something wrong with the baby can you just get Dennis and Alex please from Dublin just uh, like I said my car is in town because you'd need the car seat can you just get my car and to be fair to where she did she left work she got my car drove all the way to Wexford to get down drove back and um, dropped him into me uh, the nurses allowed him to stay over that night or the midwives um, again because it was COVID restrictions so no one was partners weren't allowed in but he was allowed to stay over Um, yeah I just I think I was in a state of shock Um. I still am whenever I think about it I just think I haven't ever really had a chance to process it 
Um, you know, and it's just something, I mean, uh, these sort of things are never really discussed or like, remember you were asking earlier about the the courses, um, the antenatal kind of courses. They don't really mention these sort of outcomes or that like, you know, your baby could be a NICU or, um, yeah. And I think, you know, not, not to scare people, but just you know, maybe to keep people a little bit informed. I just remember thinking that this is not something that happens to me. This is something that happens to other people, you know, you know. Um, And the whole night just thinking, I remember just turning to my husband and saying, I don't know how to plan a funeral. I don't want to do, you know, like, I don't know what to do. Um, But I was convinced because the doctor had told us, yeah, 2% chance of survival. Um. And then obviously, yeah, he said it was high drop. So we were there Googling high drops. And I was like, oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, the worst thing to do is to start Googling things because uh, it was a very bad outcome online as well. Um, So Trish and the midwives, they were just angels, as always. Um, You know, checking in on us, gave me a private room just so, you know, I wouldn't have to be around other people. Um, Again, I didn't really have anything. And Dan was in shock, so he didn't pack anything really. Um some pajamas maybe so like they brought in some shampoo like they had a little box of samples he said for emergencies for women who were kind of in the same situation so they had kind of shampoos and shower gels and everything which was nice um and they came in to check the baby's heart rate every so often and it was fine um every time they they, did that was your heart in your mouth yeah yeah it was i was just holding my breath um because again, I was sort of told that, you know, there's not, there's a very good chance that the baby won't survive through the night either. Um, so I was like, so why are we not doing the C-section today? But I think, you know, you couldn't eat or for whatever reason they wanted to do it uh, the next day. Um, I just, I remember, I have never been so scared in my entire life. Just scared of what was going to happen to the baby, scared of what was going to happen to me. I terrified as scared as I was of giving birth I was even more afraid of a c-section um especially with a toddler at home you know because the recovery like you can't pick them up or drive or it's like how are we going to manage um yeah and then I'll just always remember the morning the next morning I didn't sleep a wink obviously the next morning they came in to check the baby's heart rate and it was so slow and my heart just shattered into a million pieces. And she goes off and she's like, hang on, we'll just give it a few minutes. She comes back in five minutes later and the heartbeat's there. Grand. <laughs> Beating away. And she goes, oh, sometimes they just do this, you know. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So I'll never forget that. I'm like, of course, you had to just frighten the life out of me. Um but the whole time, I remember I was just in a complete state of shock. Um, so I barely kind of remember it just being brought down to theatre. Um, I was sitting there, I was getting the epidural, which again, I was so afraid of. And I just remember just being so, so afraid. Um, and then it was all over. Um, they took, they delivered the baby. And I was just turning to Dan, I'm like, I don't hear him crying. What's going on? Um, oh, there was a whole team in the room as well. It was a very overwhelming experience. Um, yeah, I was just like, I don't hear him crying. I said, go over and check. 
he wasn't really allowed. They were doing their thing, which is fair enough. Um, and then what felt like forever, there was a cry. I was like, oh my God. I actually felt like I, that was the first time I actually took a breath all day. Um, and then Dan was able to go over and kind of have a look at him. Um, yeah, so he was 32 weeks. Um, yeah, and he was... They were expecting a really bad outcome. They were expecting him to be in a lot worse uh, condition. But then they were sort of like, yeah, okay, he's not too bad. So now I barely, I got about maybe 30 seconds to hold him. And then he was taken off down to uh, NICU. Um, So he was, so I barely got to really see him. Um, Then the lactation specialist came down to me. I had decided after what I went through with Alex and the guilt and the stress that I wasn't going to do that to myself. I wasn't going to breastfeed this baby. But then given the circumstances, it was, no, it's best for your baby. You have to, you have to. So again, that pressure. So, and I wanted to, but again, weeks of being strapped. My milk, again, didn't come in because of the circumstances, the C-section, uh, the early delivery. I'm there strapped to a pump, you know, feeling like a cow, trying to hand express little tiny drops into a syringe to get him the colostrum. Um. But yeah, I couldn't even see him for hours until it was safe for me to go down to the NICU. And I was able to, I had recovered enough from the C-section to go down. Um, And it was just terrifying. You know, he's just there, this tiny little thing in um, all wires and tubes. and. But I was just relieved he was alive because we were convinced that he wasn't going to make it. We were, the consultant was kind of saying, yeah, you know prepare yourself for the worst um so that is what we had thought so it was very relieved that he was he was okay um now it was a long road he was in NICU for a couple of days and then he was transferred over to another hospital children's hospital um and he was in there for five weeks until he was brought home and even still he's had a really tough 18 18 months it's only starting to settle down from now but I would have like three hospital appointments a week up in Dublin. So it was a lot of on the road. Um, he's had a couple of emergency surgeries as well. Um, so he has had a long road, but I will tell you now he's not a great sleeper, <laughs> but he is the happiest baby he will ever meet. He really is. I know. And I'm always saying like, he has every right to be the crankiest little thing ever after all he's been through. Oh, no, he's a smile and a wave for everybody. <laughs> so... Yeah. And do you feel, did you suffer from postnatal depression second time around? I have had a low mood, but I don't think it was postnatal depression. I think, if anything, it's kind of PTSD, to be honest with you. That is what the psychiatrist is sort of saying. They still think depression too, but I'm like, I don't know. It just kind of feels different. Um, But he's like, it's all very complex. Um. Yeah, I think, again, this is why I sort of reached out because I wanted um, to just talk about it, you know, and family and everything and everyone means well. And I think everyone's just so relieved that he's okay, that nobody really kind of wants to dwell on the really hard time that it was. 
Um, and that's why even just bringing up to you, that's the first time I've talked about it in months and months and months. And that's why it just, oh, so overwhelming. And I felt like I was going to start crying again. Um, even me and my husband, when we were finally reunited after, um, you know, six or seven weeks, we just we didn't even really get to debrief on it because, <clears throat> yeah, um, it was just okay now home and to mind this little baby <laughs> as well. Uh, we had a, a bit of a, there's a lot of a lot of a, there is a lot of that at the moment sorry not at the moment in our generation or lifetime yeah. where it's like okay you're fine now let's just just keep going yeah you can't yeah. sit and dwell or think about something or there's other people who I know who've had pretty traumatic experiences that they, they can't because if they if they open it again they just won't stop crying yeah. or they're just so fearful to go back and revisit it but then you know that 10 years down the line it's going to crack itself open due to something else happening in their life and it's going to be much harder to deal with but there was a bit of that as well yeah like we did have sort of a small chat about it and we're like you know we'll, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks and we had mm. we've had a couple couple of cries about it but we never actually did have that big sit down and debrief and talk about it and I do feel like like there was so much going on and there were so many appointments and it's like mm. I felt like I wouldn't be able to keep going if I did actually think about what I had just been through um so I just had to keep kind of pushing myself and just keep going and just keep kind of pushing that away to the side and yeah it's only now he's sort of coming out of it um he'll have another couple of surgeries when he's a bit older um, it wasn't high drops in the end. It was actually something else called posterior urethral valves, which is where um just suddenly when they're developing, this little flap of skin in the urethra just develops. So urine can't pass out. So it's back flowing into the kidneys. Okay. They reckon the reason he was surrounded by fluid was that his bladder actually burst. Um, and that was just kind of urine. Um, so they mistook it for the high drop. So that's why they were pleasantly surprised. They're like, okay, he's actually not too bad because with high drops, they should be really like he was swollen, but they should be really, really, really swollen. Um, so yeah, so he had to have a little surgery um, to reroute. They couldn't ablate the valves in the urethra because he's just too teeny tiny. Uh, the instruments are too big. So he'll have that when he's three. So in the meantime, he just has a little stoma, a little opening. Um, above his belly button but he urinates kind of freely he doesn't have a bag he's just straight into a nappy which is handy enough except now that he's active uh, he's constantly rolling and yeah but anyway um yeah so he had that little surgery when he was one and he's had a couple of emergencies he had a hernia on uh inguinal hernia on the left side and then a couple of months later on the right side and at six weeks old he had was diagnosed with really severe hip dysplasia so we've been through all of that all the braces he will he had surgery um on the hip he ended up in a spica cast for months like he's had a tough road he's only out of the casts now about maybe three or four weeks but yeah. that's that's good yeah the hip seemed to be sorted um another worry they said with kids who had this PUV is um, that there could be damage to the kidneys. They said some kids are born in renal failure um, and already on a transplant list. His kidneys are monitored every six months um, and they're just, yeah, they're absolutely perfect. 
So <laughs> I'm so relieved. Um, yeah, like it just, it was horrible. It could have just been so much worse, you know, so he was very lucky. Um, yeah, and I think they're kind of like, thankfully, they go, we're, you know, sorry that you were so sick and in hospital, but they said at least, you know, you had your scan then and then it was two or three weeks later I came in for this appointment. Um, so they're like, so we know nothing was wrong then. So something kind of happened in the space of three weeks. So it's not like it was going on the yeah. whole time, you know, <laughs> which is good. Um, just, just a question before I yeah. let you go to bed. Sorry. <laughs> um, how do you look after yourself amongst all of this with both of your boys? Um, That is a hard one. I haven't been to be honest with you I have um I just stress everything um <clears throat> for the past 18 months um yeah I had not been looking after myself because I was just I was so kept busy with Ben and his appointments and then Alex obviously um trying to organize his diagnosis and get him the supports he needs um, and then he kind of has um, like speech and language and occupational therapy and physio appointments himself. So just kind of kept going with the two of them and just like that, trying not to think too much about what I've been through because I just will actually break if I think too much about it. Um, but I linked in with the community mental health team. 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 <laughs> um. And they've been great. And as I said, there was the mental health nurse there who just at the very early stages would be like, okay, here, let me hold Ben for you. You have a hot cup of tea. Just talk to me. Like, how was your day? How was the, you know, and that was so nice. That sort of support. Um, as Ben kind of got better, we could go to things. Um, like I was so afraid of him catching COVID or any sort of illness that I stayed away from everything. But as he got stronger, started going back to the rhyme time that was still running which was so nice um met a nice group of friends there as well actually got talking to a woman whose um kid was also in a harness so we're like oh you know yeah um and they kind of understood at least that part yeah you know so just kind of got a community and then I think moving from the house we were in before where I was very isolated moving into this town now it's helped. It's still not, it's still like an hour and 20 minutes away from family, but it's closer and the town itself is more lively and I've made a community here. Mm. So that really helps. Um, and at the moment now I am trying to get back to work myself. Um, like last time, as I said, I kind of just had to take a job to get the mortgage and now I'm like no I'm actually what do I want to do <laughs> what do I want to be when I grow up um so I'm looking into that I'm doing courses I'm working with a job coach I'm actually trying to find a fulfilling career brilliant which yeah. is not tell, nice. tell yeah. me when you find out what you want to be <laughs> I mean how you discover that because I have no idea okay good night <laughs> take bye. care bye. Bye. bye I hope you enjoyed this week's episode I have tagged Claire over on the Instagram page um, on her introduction. If you want to get in touch, she is more than happy to have a chat with you. If you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to get in touch over on the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, which is linked in the show notes. 
Click on the Share Your Stories tab and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Also, thank you to those of you who are supporting the podcast over on Acast for the price of five euro a month. You help keep the podcast afloat and also you get access to the weekly episodes ad-free, which is always nice. Okay, enjoy your week and I will be back with you on Monday with a brand new episode. Take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.